you're listening to Death of the Reader. This is Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. And it is our final week with All the Tears in China by the wonderful, wonderful Solari Gentil. We are discussing up to the end of this book from chapter 28. And Herds, <laughs> I love this ending so much. I... I, I don't think I can quite adequately put into words how satisfying I found the ending of this book compared to everything we've covered. Because we've had some great endings, some great conclusions, some fantastic twists, because this is, after all, the mystery genre, the home turf of the twist. But the way that this book carries itself out towards the ending is just illustrious <laughs> let's let's be entirely clear in any other murder mystery story i would say you know this is the part where where roland sinclair figures out who the murderer is and then he goes and accuses them or he gathers them in a room or he sends a telegram to the police chief and is like arrest that lawyer in his house whatever no no roland sinclair basically f- figures out what's going on and then is thrown in jail <laughs> Mm-hmm. And we spend the entire, almost the entire third act of this of this story, putting Sinclair through the ringer as he is fake hanged, hanged, hung, whatever in this jail. He is uh, almost contracts tuberculosis. He is gaslit and drugged and has a revolver put against his head. Like he is so incredibly. <laughs> hardy of a, of a person, I think, to be able to go through all of this and still have the guts at the end oh, yeah. uh, to try to stick it to the culprit uh, in a climactic moment where he has the unrequited love towards Edna. Oh, I love that so much. It is so fantastic how this kicks off with Bertie Middleton showing up in Shanghai, having abandoned uh, the job he just got at the beginning of the novel to yeah. chase Edna across the world, much to everyone's chagrin. Bertie is then found dead with two bullet wounds to the head. Yep, Roland is put afterwards. in prison over it. And my goodness, the the way that the prisons are presented is just so confronting. It's awful. You know, as you said, there's the there's the threat of tuberculosis. There's a man coughing up blood in Roland's cell on the first night. He goes to offer the guy a blanket and then is then beaten and put in solitary confinement for it. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, man. And is it Mr. Whiteley was the name of the, the chief warden? Whiteley. That's the one. He's he's one of those characters that if I think they showed up as the main villain of a novel, I'd be like, that's ridiculous. No one can be that cruel. But because <laughs> no he just has evil. this momentary presence as the chief prison warden, it just kind of fits in with the rest of the confrontation. Yep of the prison so it doesn't feel as out of depth as I think it otherwise would be and it's so effective at just making it so uncomfortable. I, I was very glad uh, Slurry uh, didn't need to add this particular tie-in but it does turn out that Whiteley's being particularly you know, cruel to, to Sinclair because he's on the payroll of the criminals so he gets his comeuppance. Well, he doesn't get his comeuppance. He's investigated but no action is taken which is sad but we know that he is a bad man and he needs to be punished. And that's the important thing. I, I really enjoyed that. Just that entire, like, I didn't enjoy going through prison, but I appreciate it as an element in, uh, in the story, right? Absolutely. I think the other thing that I was really glad that came back around, well, I just, 
so many things came back around towards the end of this story, but the one thing I wasn't expecting to get again was Du Yusheng, the gang boss that they'd gone to to settle the debt for Wing Zhao oh earlier. Goodness. The scene where I think it's Milton, can't tell the difference between the two of them, even at the end of the They're novel. They're both the same. I, th- I think Clyde was the one who got his leg blown open or whatever, so I, th- I think you're right. I think it's Milton. Yeah, but but when uh, the two of them go to Du Yusheng and they're like, please, you know, Big Ear Du, we need, we need lawyers to get Roland out of prison because his lawyer's it off to Nanking and mm-hmm. there's this tense moment and they're like don't worry you know we'll represent you and they're like oh thank you so much thank you so much we'll pay anything as soon as he's released and Du Yusheng's like don't worry he he rejected the Japanese and their trade deal and I'm Chinese and that's like that's the yeah, payoff for yeah. that scene it's beautiful it was so satisfying having that come back around because we had this huge setup with Wing and going into that den and I was like oh come on is this is this actually going to show up and do anything later on so worth it for that scene. <laughs> That's so interesting. I was I was actually looking forward to that. I thought that Du uh, might come back at some point because this this whole novel is about the the complicated like global politics in Shanghai and how it's a boiling pot. The crime boss, the gang boss, the the men on the streets who have their ears to the ground uh, and know what's going on and are instrumental in in bringing us to our conclusion at the end. You know, they're the ones who get rolling out of sing- uh, rolling out of the out of the prison and they're the ones who got him out of trouble at the. Uh, the nightclub party, like to have a, a criminal gang boss be the person who is our the hero of our of our protagonist, I think is quite clever. And I I don't, I don't know if you know this about me, Flex, but I love organized crime. Oh yes, um, don't take that out of context. But <laughs> in the context, what context of her, could there possibly sorry. be to take it out of her? <laughs> um, no, I mean don't don't get me wrong. I I completely agreed with you that I thought that it was going to come back around and represent mm. that huge boiling pot. I was just I was a little bit concerned. I didn't have enough faith in our dear Solari Gentil that it wasn't wow. do- going to just be a deus ex machina of a bunch of thugs showing up at the end to take down the <laughs> doctor. Like break him out, yeah. But this this execution was so much more satisfying than what I'd pictured, and I'm so pleased I was wrong. No, no. I I, I think that that is probably the greatest praise I can give to this novel. Is it is it everything is wrapped up in a very tidy way. Um, and I have to owe this to the um the the where are they now segment at the end of the book, which was <laughs> yeah. I wasn't expecting it, you know. I wasn't expecting to get that. And and my favorite note in the entire thing. There's all these like paragraphs and these like notes and stories about what happens to all these different characters. And for for uh Wilfred Sinclair it just says Wilfred never sent his brother to to do wool trading ever again. Like he's I know it's that, that's so it. good. That's it's all we one need. Sentence. <laughs> I will say though, one of the big disappointments I had in the the final section of this novel was that Wing Zhao did not get the chance to spread his wings again. Pun intended. Uh, I see. I see. Very clever. As we've as we pointed out in the previous episodes, he was such a charming character, and the few moments that he gets on screen, he is absolutely wonderful. And I think that that is still the case as we get further on and we kind of get this bigger dynamic between uh, the rest of the team that Roland has built up around him yeah. and the, you know, the kind of occasional stouches they have, particularly with the cab driver. Yes, with Singh, which was quite a compelling kind of aspect of the story. I was, I was kind of hoping for a bigger payoff for that. Um, but but you're right. I think that Wing shines the most in the early parts of the novel when we're seeing, you know, we're seeing the mask, you know, when he's, you know, 
being the perfect valet, and then we see behind the mask when he's got the gambling debts and when he's seeing all those sorts of things. He's very well characterized and very charming when we first see him, but I think as Singh starts to share his screen time, I, I don't know, I, I, I feel like a little bit more time could have been given to, yeah. to showing how that resolved, because it turns out in the Where Are They Now segment that Wing and Singh, because of course they have, they become a private detective like investigation firm, yes, which is wonderful. Like I love that as this like, uh, we were we were rivals and we don't really like each other because we're from different backgrounds and one of us is a communist and da 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 da. But we didn't really get to see that friendship form properly. You know, we saw the tension between them, but we didn't see like this is when everything comes together and they decide to be be best friends. Yeah, um, which disappointed me a little bit, but. I do think that the two characters on their own for the screen time that they do have are, are so entertaining and compelling. And like the fact that Singh even like he brings in his sister to like bake cakes for everyone. Like, I love it. I love that so much. Also, apparently Sergei Romanov ended up working for Wing and Singh Private Investigations, yeah. which is yeah. such a lovely little detail in the Where Are They Now? In defense of the novel, in defense of the novel, mm-hmm. I do want to say that I think that if they had given Wing or Singh too much screen time, it would have been a detriment to how effectively they were characterized in the small time they were given for sure for sure i agree i i do still crave a little more of them you know if there was a short story about their first private investigation (laughs) at the end of this novel i would have gladly paid double the admission price for this book (laughs) miss gentil i need to know when is the wing and sing uh detective series coming out that is what we need right now we need more shanghai Mm -hmm. we need mr mills the little monkey who's like eating jam everywhere. We need him in the background to like cause problems for Wing and Sing. That's what I want. That is the detective series that we need right now. Yeah. (laughs) Nah, nah. I I, I appreciate it though. (laughs) Alrighty. Well, I think that'll do for this bit of the discussion on Death of the Reader. We are talking all the tears in China, chapters 28 to the end by Solari Gentil. We are going to be talking a bit more about the mystery. Was it fair? How did we piece it all together? later on the show. Stick around for that. We are Flex and Herds, and you're listening to 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here with you for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are back for our last week with the wonderful, the charming Solari Gentle talking about all the tears in China. The solutions are on the table, and the first thing I wanted to ask Our good father Knox decrees his fifth commandment of detective fiction that the story should not feature a Chinaman, obviously not a literal Chinese person, but rather the obvious outsider culprit. Given that your novels deal with how we got to World War II, do you think having Nazi groups, the Hitler Youth, and this trade war is too obvious for a mystery novel? How do you keep a mystery engaging when the answer is implied in the context? Right. (laughs) Um, um, I I think the the expansion of the the fascist movement to the east uh, and the trade issues were actually at the heart of this novel. So when when you uh, look at Carmel the lawyer, his his motivation was a personal motivation in that uh, this he wanted he wanted to make money, but it was he was bouncing off the whole trade thing. And at that time in uh, in China and certainly in Australia, uh, there was a real chance that there would be a trade embargo on Japan. 
um, because of what the Japanese did in Manchuria. But of course, you know, the the United Nations, like the United Nations uh, today, is very plagued with individual political interests of the member parties. And so it was considered that the fact that Japan came, invaded and killed hundreds of thousands of people wasn't a good enough reason to impose a trade embargo. But there was for a time a certain fear that there would be a trade embargo. That trade embargo or that fear of a trade embargo was why the Japanese were in China trying to um, secure wool prior to any embargo being decreed. Mm. Um, So it was what was why, you know, Roland was there in the first place. It was why Carmel was interested in pushing Roland towards, towards that deal why he was absolutely furious that Wilfred hadn't turned up in prison yeah. and had sent his hapless little brother to basically keep the seat warm and not make any decisions. Um, so a lot of his complex motivation for doing what he did is is based on that whole trade issue. I've always, you know, I've always shied away from the, the monster villain, mm. you know, uh, the person who is – a serial killer or who just likes killing people. It's far more interesting when people have a rational reason why they need to kill someone. Yeah. It may still be evil. It's still, you know, it's still horrible and evil, but they have a reason. And that pulls in that whole motive part of crime fiction. So the issue that I have with a lot of the the serial killer novels is that they take away motive. The serial killer doesn't need to have a motive. His motive is that he's a serial killer Mm. and he likes to kill people. I I think particularly when we look back on Van Dyne, who we mentioned when we were first speaking to you about this book, his rule that you shouldn't have secret societies, Camorras and mafias is that no high-class, self-respecting murderer would want such odds in his jousting bout with the police. And I think that the kind of difference between that statement and what you're saying here is almost the the kind of mission statement of modern crime fiction compared to what was happening in Van Dyne's day, where it was just all about the puzzle, all about the cleverness of it. Whereas I think that the far more plausible, far more character-driven way that you've imposed this, and even though it deals with massive scale, as we were talking about previously, it still has a very personal, direct motive rather than being blown out of proportion like some other stories uh, back in the golden age used to be when they dealt with these sorts of issues. Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, I, I suppose it's, well, no, I, I, I was going to say I suppose it's tempting to always blow it out of proportion, but I, I've never actually been tempted yeah. <laughs> because for me the interest is the interest is always in that one human individual and mm. the decisions they make because for me that's what I find fascinating is what makes people tick Mm. and why a person will decide to do this rather than that and why a person will where where people draw their lines in the sand now we all draw lines in the sand and there's always a point at which we will not we will not go any further we'll stand our ground and fight when we get to this point and I'm quite interested in where that point is for people because it's 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 different for every individual and it's so nuanced as to where it is why and and what facet what direction 
it's facing. You know, in, in a funny sort of way, it's it's like voting. You know, people are concerned about a lot of things, but there's only a few things that will make them change their vote. Mm-hmm. That to me is, you know, the great puzzle of human existence um, and the, 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 a bigger puzzle than who, who killed someone is – you know what will make you stand up and fight? Yeah, and, and yeah, and, and and that's basically where I keep my focus when, even when I'm writing about these great movements, because great movements are made up of thousands and millions of individuals making decisions. And it is such a huge part of the book, isn't it? Understanding where Carmel's motivations come from and seeing the broader picture um, when everything slides into place right at the end. Um, now, Slurry, I have to ask, because there's there's a moral decision, a quandary, if you will, that, that you have been putting off for 10 books now, um, because this year you have actually spoiled us with publishing the 10th Roland Sinclair novel, uh, A Testament of Character. Is this the book where Roland and Edna might finally reach the resolution of their romantic comedy, Solari? I have to know. <laughs> You've not read it then? <laughs> I haven't yet. I haven't had the chance. Um, oh, I don't want to spoil it. But oh, look, my goodness. The 10th book is... <laughs> okay, so I will spoil it. The tenth book sees uh, an acceleration in oh. Roland's relationship with Edna, uh, but it's also uh, it's also thwarted. <gasps> it's tragic. Um, so I'm scared now. <laughs> and the reality is, you know, you know that I cannot have Roland and Edna find their happily ever after. Why not? The they're so, but they're so lovely. <laughs> Can't you just give them happiness? <laughs> You'll understand when you're older, Ben. You'll understand when you're older. It just is. They cannot have that in the middle of, because I would be then writing Mr. and Mrs. Sinclair investigate, which it doesn't, it just doesn't have the same thing. Oh, well. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's, you know, this. I, I think I've always said from the very beginning that Roland and Edna will never never find complete happiness together until the very final book if mm. they if it happens at all yeah, well, that's because you know yeah. it, if, if they actually if the sexual tension is actually dissipated what am i going to do <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it then it then becomes and and i have had i had a really serious long discussion with my American publisher about this because now the books are published in America and the Americans are, are more anxious that people get married mm-hmm. <laughs> than Australians ever are. Interesting. And, uh, they, and, and, and I remember she said to me, you know, they can always get divorced. Uh, <laughs> Just throw more drama in there. Yeah, that'll be fine. Now we can go through the divorce procedure and how that works. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, you know, it could be sort of the bold and the beautiful meets Roland Sinclair. Edna can marry <laughs> each, of, each of them, you know. I'd read it. Roland okay, I'd read it. <laughs> it could be. Um, but as much as the, the relationship between Roland and Edna has a lot of fans, and is is really crucial to who they both are. I'm not writing a romance. <laughs> I'm mm. writing crime fiction. So that story runs beside all the other the um, point, yeah. arcs that go mm. on. So it it probably um, you probably will see that I in book ten I did give some resolution, but then I took it away. <sighs> yeah, the, the fan service can only last for so long, as they say. Exactly, exactly. But, but I mean, I, I, I think I think book ten gives you enough to stop 
it being a painful torture and then <laughs> to stop us from complaining. I don't, I don't believe, <laughs> I don't believe there is anything that you could write that would save Ben from this torture. It's impossible. I have to know what happens. Do they, will they or won't they? It's the eternal question. They will. <gasps> they will. <laughs> I know now. I, I, I don't have to read the books anymore. Oh my goodness. So that's it. I what guess terrible advertising just lost 20 sales or so. Well, I mean, it is, if you mean will they or won't they, well, it d- depends. <laughs> if you mean will they or won't they for a moment oh. or for a, a period oh of time. Oh, no, the question has become. You're going to have to buy the books again. The now, question though. has become more complex and I don't like that. Why would you do this to me? <laughs> You're reading mystery novels. I hate it. I hate it. Oh, it's too much mystery I in my mystery right. novels. I have to keep my characters sharp. They can't get married. All right. <laughs> they can't be happy. Well, Solari, thank you so much for joining us here on Death of the Reader. It has been an absolute delight having you on over the course of these episodes, and we cannot wait to get into more of your fiction down the line. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, um, and it's been fun. The book is A Testament of Character, the 10th in the Roland Sinclair series. We have been talking the ninth, All the Tears in China, and we'll be back with more of that in just a second. You are listening to Death of the Reader. We are discussing All the Tears in China by Solari Gentil, chapters 28 to the end. Flex and Herds here. And Herds, it is that time of the show where I get to assign you your points for how well you did solving this novel. Uh, I want to tell you before you even assign me points, I don't want, I, I almost don't want to know because I am so <laughs> frustrated that I've done. I've I've pulled a Hertz. You really have. I've I've noticed all the clues and I've figured out logically where the story should go. And the only point that I was really like incorrect on was I said, you know, obviously this like Nazi plot is to make sure that the Sinclair name does not make the wool deal. And it was that they would make the wool deal. Like, if I just taken that knot out of there, I would have been pretty much on the money you with this. It would have been pretty I fun. I would have been pretty pretty much perfect, um, which really frustrates me because I clearly was on the ball. Just, yeah. like, a, just like one foot off, you know? Now, now, here's the thing, is that, as I have said over the past weeks, the scope of this novel is so immense and so ludicrous that you could really go any direction with it. So the fact that you got as close as you did mm-hmm. by the time you did herds means I'm uh-huh. still I'm still going to afford you <laughs> three quarters of a point. Okay, good. Now, does as we know here on the show, okay. we don't deal in fractional points. Yeah, does that round up to one point? Let's. How? We're not done here, herds. Oh my goodness. There was. We are playing double or nothing this year. It's true. Which means means that at the end of the year, whoever has the least points just goes to zero. And every book is worth two. And your other point, Herds, Uh was deciding whether or not Alexandra Romanova was the Princess Anastasia or not. Which is ambiguous. The ending leaves it (laughs) ambiguous. Which, terrible. Which was intentionally a trap. I will say, Herds, uh-huh. I, I laid the perfect trap for you here. I know you did. A novel with endless scope that you could go any direction with. And ambiguous questions, an ambiguous which is question. nonsense. Nonsense, Flex. I can't believe you'd do this to me. This is beyond a trap. This is this is masochism. It, is, it is. is cruel. It is unfair. And I am fully aware of this fact, Herds. Oh, my goodness. What have you done to me? 
So what's the verdict? Are you are you going to give me a point or are you going to leave me in the dust? Really, I'm at your mercy currently. The, the problem is here, Herds, is that you're at three quarters of a point. Uh-huh. I, I don't think I can leave you with no points. Okay. Good. For your answer for uh, for Alexander Romanova. I, I feel like I've 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 got to I've got to give you a total point count for this book of one and a half points uh-huh, because okay. as you accurately pointed out last week and the week before it will be so much more entertaining if it in fact was the Princess Anastasia and I completely agree with you on that I, I agree. and I think that you you lighted correctly on all the clues about her existence but it never it never occurred to you that the option was there the option to say neither is the case yes oh it's garbage so it's you know garbage. what herds we're we're gonna leave you with a point and a half the question is. The question is, because we don't deal in fractional points on this show, whether you feel worthy of rounding up or unworthy enough to round down. What kind of question is that? That's cruel. I am I am the the chief warden Whiteley standing next you to your you really fake are. noose asking you to just just let it be. That's where we are right now, Herds. So what's it gonna be? Look, oh my goodness. Am I? Do we know? Am I winning right now? Do we have a points tally right at this moment? Can I ask that question? Can I, can I have that information as to whether I'm winning or not before I make my decision? <laughs> <laughs> can I? You know what, Herds? Do we know? This is this is a show. This is a show where you have to use the clues to figure okay. out the answer. Which means okay. no, no, you cannot have the answer. That would be like jumping to the end of your mystery novel uh, to try and okay. find out the solution. Okay, okay, all right, and we wouldn't do that. So, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Flex. I've been thinking about it. I I think I did pretty well with this. I agree. I would definitely not have given myself zero points. Uh, however, I I will say I sadly was not able to fully understand uh, the role that Alexandra Robinova played in the actual situation that she was being sent to, you know, seduce Wilfred, which should have been obvious to me. Mm-hmm. I know I missed that. So on the grounds that I have missed uh, that that additional mystery there, uh, I, I think that one point is more than sufficient uh, for myself at this moment. I think that's fine. I think I can make it up in the in the second half of the year. I think that's going to be the plan. All right, all right. Uh, to, I'm looking to forward to it. Back. I I'm hope so. I'm looking forward to it. Underdog's story is real, okay? <laughs> oh, good grief. All right, I suppose I suppose we should talk about the actual mystery in this book. <laughs> I guess It so. is no secret, if you've heard us discussing it, that we absolutely love this mystery. The, the fact that you are so many steps ahead of the entire team of Sherlock's and Watson's at the end of this book is amazing. When uh, Edna goes in to chat with Roland after the doctor's saying, oh, you shouldn't talk to him. You shouldn't believe anything he's going to say. I'm like, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, like nodding along. Um, But Edna leads into Roland and Roland's like, you shouldn't trust him. And she's like, yeah, I know I should trust Inspector Randolph. And he's like, no, not Randolph. And then we cut away (laughs) and it's like, who could it be? Like, I love that moment. It's like a silly murder mystery moment of like, we know what's going on, but can Edna help him out? And and she does in the end. It's great. It's 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 so excellent. It's so much fun. You know, it is a a rare moment for a novel to put you so far ahead of your detective this late in the book. And I think that the execution here is excellent. You know, we we may have busted a couple of rules, as, as always, 
uh, Van Dyne because, I mean, honestly, who respects the Van Dyne He's rules? too strict, honestly. He's way too strict. Before we move on from Van Dyne, I received I received a message after last week's show. Oh, no. Where someone pointed out to me that we shouldn't really have been harping on the secret societies, Kimura's mafias and all. We should have been harping on the motives for all crimes in detective stories should be personal. International oh. plottings and war politics belong in a different category of fiction. It doesn't look throw it out. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Look, that that rule breaking was so obvious it didn't even occur to me to talk about it because it is this is the thing, right? Like it's it's not just that the novel's like being clever and sneaking around these rules in a really intricate way, which is another thing that I can respect, but it is simply the premise of the novel, right? Yeah. The premise is that we're gonna combine a murder mystery with a spy novel. Yeah. And that's just we're just gonna experiment with that. And uh, as always, it's not about it's not about breaking the rules or not, it's about how you break them. And in fact, we we have done so well by Knox that, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that Gilbert Carmel is the first character outside the main cast, aside from an infant and nameless thugs, to appear in the story. Yes, yes, he says, I guess I have a, a good friend named Gilbert Carmel. Yeah, well, Herds, I think we can we can put the seal of approval, the Flex yeah. and Herds seal of approval on all the tears in China. It is a fair mystery. It throws Van Dyne out the window just like we love. Yay. A personal favorite. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess we should we should talk about the next book we're going to be diving into. I'm going to be challenging you, Flex, mm-hmm. to solve good murder. Uh, starring detective William Power. So that's a mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and it's written by Robert Gott. Uh, this particular story is set in Maryborough in Queensland of Australia. And it stars uh, an, an actor who is also a detective. And I, I promise you it'll be interesting. I promise you it all will right, star the right. most uncharismatic detective you have ever laid your eyes on. And we're going to see if you can possibly solve this Australian murder mystery text. I should say, uh, Robert Gott was actually, uh, he helped in the writing of All the Tears in China and is actually a good friend of Solari Gentil. And that's why that's, that's why we're heading over there. Excellent. see what he's got. So, yeah. If it's the same standard quality as this, then we'll, we'll certainly have a ride ahead of us. Fantastic. Well, you have been listening to Death of the Reader. We are Flex and Herds. We will see you next week with Good Murder, a William Powell mystery. Those chapters, what are they? We'll be covering chapters one to five. All right, fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us here on Death of the Reader. We will see you then. You're listening to 2SER 107.3.